This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Pete, go! Ooh, Matt, I like it when you get all tough. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 304, Devils, you know, brought to you by Conspiracy Latte Company. Try our new hazelnut flavor espresso today. Mmm, yummy in the tummy. And Pete, another treat was the Pop Culture Podcast episode that we dropped just a day or two ago in anticipation of tomorrow, which might be today when you're listening, so it's the future or the past or whatever, but uh, October 21st, of course, being Back to the Future Day, and it was such a pleasure to speak with Jason Aaron, who has directed the Back to the Future documentary Back in Time, so if you haven't listened to that on the Pop Culture feed do take a listen. Fun documentary, really fun guy to talk to. Uh, it'll be on your, you know, basically any digital platform that you got. You can watch the documentary and uh, good times all around, Pete. Absolutely. When we catch you up on what went down, our teaser here set in North Hollywood. Uh, we have a couple in a kitchen. Uh, talking about the most mundane of things, dry chicken, when it's revealed that uh, the the guy is hovering. Indeed, Pete, without a board, no less. That's the first clue that he has the special power of floating eight inches above the ground. Uh, we do not see a power out of the woman, but another powered woman comes to the door. Pete. I would recognize that redhead anywhere. It's uh, Alicia from last season, the multiple girl. Yes, which is why we had to repeatedly repeat her name early on, (laughs) apart from her vibrant red hair, to recognize her from the band of OG Inhumans, Matt, which quickly becomes the discussion that the Terrigen has gotten out, that they need to stick together. Those of us that uh, were together before the outbreak. But then we get to talking about an email. She hasn't seen it yet. Can you show it to me? And Lash breaks in. And uh, then, <laughs> then I. <laughs> Wait, why are you laughing? Because I laughed at the same time, too. I'm laughing because my notes say, then Lash. <laughs> then, la- <laughs> then Lash shows up. <laughs> And chicken girl. (laughs) Chicken head. (laughs) And chicken girl has run. (laughs) All right, Pete. We've taken a minute to stop ridiculously laughing. We love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've podcasted every episode. And what I wrote in my notes, I'm not going to try and say it without laughing. Then Lash shows up. And Chicken Girl has rubber fire. <laughs> rubber fire arms. And I'm going to reveal to you what I wrote. Please I do, wrote, because we need to move on. I, I wrote that girl stretches glowy arms. 
I hope the listeners are enjoying this because, because <laughs> wow, I just need to literally move away from my notes <laughs> because that is a sentence I know has never been written in the English language before. <laughs> and please don't take this as a slam against the show. No, no it's just, <clears throat> it, it's what note taking does. And the, the shot itself was not humorous doubly so because the couple is killed and alicia's doppelganger as well before it's revealed that uh she is on the plane with colson catching him up on the situation as the tease ends and it really it it is an effective way to end the scene because i think the average viewer now that we've regained our composure here with the the death of two new characters but uh alicia was memorable enough that that i think the intent of um the intent of the show was for us to be saying oh she looks familiar she looks familiar who is that who is that who is that but it's only when you cut to her on the plane that it's like oh right the girl who can make copies of herself so certainly an effective teaser act pete Act one and Bobby Colson and Fitz are on the scene. Daisy and Mac have given chase of lash. Uh, but what was supposed to be a recruiting mission has gone awry. Alicia as Colson reports is in shock. Bobby is in rehab and with sky and Mac tracking lash, there's espresso banter, Matt. Indeed, there is, Pete. And we spent time talking how last week's episode was kind of one in transition. You know, it wasn't kind of, you know, big resolution. It wasn't, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, these most monumental moments. And on the one hand, there was the, the feeling of that early on in this episode. But I, I think it really is a case that they're just so committed to the the ongoing serialized uh, story in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that, you know, things like cursory mention to Bobby on the mend you know it's just kind of what the story naturally is going to do it's not like oh this is the episode where we get from two weeks ago to two weeks from now you know or anything like that it's just kind of on the flow um it's not quite as lean as last week's episode but you know there's kind of those procedural moments like Fitz grabbing the laptop and there's plenty of exposition and camera work to confirm that because later on that's going to become a thing um and it's just a scene here where things are really cooking. Well, uh, Mac talks about this uh, character they're tracking in Lash and that this seems to be instinct taking over uh, like a great white that exists to uh, eat other sharks and make baby sharks with the Jaws reference that's, uh, you know, 20 years before uh, Daisy's birth. Um actually only uh 14 right 1989 but uh bobby meanwhile finds a spine on um one of the victims and uh fitz and simmons talk about uh the the systems that they have for um actually it's not fitz and simmons because simmons isn't in the field never mind um, it, it feels like it should be Fitzsimmons, Pete. That's part of the that's part of the dramatic thrust here. You know, Fitzmorse just doesn't it doesn't you know it works, but does it work for our hearts, Pete? No, no. And uh, as we get a tense uh, scene with um, Daisy and Mac 
closing in on Lash. It's actually the ATCU behind the door. Everybody stands down. And, uh, oh, that's you, huh, Johnson, says Rosalind Price, because, you know, the ATCU has 19 Agent Johnsons. This is... Well, there's an opportunity there to say that I guess they have a lot of Johnsons at the ATCU, but I like how this scene went. I mean, it's it's a little cheeky. It's a little kind of too on the nose, um, or it risks being too on the nose, but it's a fun moment. And it's also just kind of an expositional reminder, hey, they're supposed to be buddies. It's a mean to an end, but whose end? Um, Ours also want to mention... in. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Who's who's benefiting more from this, which is something you and I have discussed in the past in terms of, you know, did we think it was going to be S.H.I.E.L.D. and ATCU, you know, arms locked singing songs? Of course not. That's going to be some of the, the 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 internal thrust here, the internal tension of, you know, who's got which chips and all of that. But it's it, it works. It, it, it just simply works. Sometimes those slightly more cheesy things, you know, when they click, they click. And Pete, it clicks. And what partic- this particular episode is from a character's perspective, uh, we see Lash's perspective here of uh, Daisy, which is flipped around later so effectively in the episode to end Act 1. Act 2 begins with Coulson and Price. Uh, in a rather tense discussion over where they are taking the victims, which, of course, Matt, is? Well, it's going to be their secret ACTU location. Classified. Indeed. By the way, Pete, did you catch that the A, that Rosalind Price, because I can't keep saying ACTU, um, uh, which I guess is actually ATCU. I still have a problem with that acronym. <laughs> Anyhow, um, bottom line is Rosalind Price gives the order to clean out the apartment, in, uh, including computers. So that's kind of the little wink, wink there of, wait, we saw Fitz physically take it. And, of course, that's going right. to bear story fruit later on. Um, again, it, you know, it, it's nice. It works under that umbrella of they're not sharing properly. They're not sharing equally the way they're supposed to. Right, and they had this agreement here. They were supposed to share the intel, but uh, this was not the usual response call. She notes there's no cocoons and that uh, Shane and Lori Johnson here, uh, that they had turned before the outbreak. But Coulson, uh, you know, labels them friends of a friend and... uh, the tension between these two rival agencies now supposedly working together only increases. I personally appreciated that little bit of quasi exposition there because as much as, you know, obviously watch the show, think about the show notes about the show, etc. cetera. Um, I had lost track, at least in terms of, you know, like uh, uh, off the top of my head, I lost track of the point, the story point that, uh, we know Inhumans have been around for a long, long time. Coulson knows it. It was a major storyline for the second half of last season, but the rest of the world doesn't. Uh, uh, Rosalind doesn't necessarily know that Inhumans are this, you know, this long tradition and have existed for this long time. So it really was a case of making sure the audience, even the 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 advanced members of the audience, if I, you know, dare say so myself, were up to speed for all of this, all of this, uh, you know, 
pile of details flying around. When we catch up with Ward and Kibo here, there's discussion, Matt, about shield code, accountability, and attention to detail, and some gas cans. What I might even refer to as Chekhov's gas cans. Uh, a, a nice touch there, which I, I noticed but hadn't fully connected in part because uh, the, uh, the director of this episode spent, in, for my opinion, a little too much time framing board against the Hydra logo in every possible opportunity. I know the scene ended essentially with a two-shot, Ward on the right-hand side, the slightly out-of-focus Hydra logo on the left side. We get it that this is Hydra 2.0. I thought it was just a l- done a little bit too much, but I'll tell you what was news to me, Pete, is that BB ain't. His name is Kivo or Kibo. Um, Kibo. So uh, I guess we can't call him BB Ain't no more because he ain't that name. No, we can. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and as Ward remarks here, it would almost be a shame to bring all of this down. But we find out that Hunter has moved up the food chain and uh, <laughs> he is uh, much closer to getting to Ward. And I like here that in this Hunter and May scene, he frames his motive. Not that it was unclear in any way, but it's, again, it's just, it's nice to sometimes just have this stuff spelled out so clearly. He wants to get to Ward before Bi- Bobby is able to return to the field. So it's that kind of, you know, he's, Hunter is racing to get revenge before Ward can, you know, try and do it again. Um, then, of course, Pete, he's kind of pulled back a little bit by May. Yeah, and with those stakes being raised, and it's interesting the way they flip this by the end of the episode, that it's May's significant other who winds up being in the line of danger, um, that that she's trying to yoke him back. There's concern here that he's made this increasingly personal and not professional. And he, of course, uh, says, you know, or when she says, you know, to, to, to call her once he gets the time and the place, he concludes that with a, a yes, mum, uh, which uh, Pete, uh, I, I know Ming-Na Wen has kids, but darned if, darned if she looks old enough to me to be a mom. So uh, <laughs> uh, I guess Hunter's uh, lucky he didn't get a knuckle sandwich there from uh, May and those, you know, brass knucks from last week. So, Matt, are you saying that the babe, and can we just make it clear that Ming-Na Wen is a babe, that the babe that last week wore a blondie shirt just told a British guy, call me? Wow. Um, that is the best hashtag it's all connected of all time. Garner, her husband, though, Dr. Andrew Garner, uh, is observing the... Uh, Inhuman Alicia in the Wonkavator there. And Daisy, meanwhile, reveals to Coulson that the email was actually some kind of virus to track uh, victims. The ATCU has apparently come across it before. Um, but the idea of getting answers and playing ball is very much at odds. 
Pete, we've spoken before about how there's many wonderful things that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does, but kind of delving into, you know, the metaphors of life um, is not something it does very often. But that said, um, there was the line from Daisy there, Lash is an inhuman, but why would inhumans hurt each other? And, you know, is it some giant message moment? Of course not. But I just thought it was a notable line enough just to, to say, frankly, in Daisy's ignorance, yes, people of Group A, whatever the group is, your country, your, you know, whatever, however it is that we define groups as human beings, yeah, sometimes even within the group, we do hurt each other. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's any message, Pete, we're all, we're all one group. So why are we hurting each other? But I just, I was taken by Daisy's naivete, not being critical of the writing or, or anything, just kind of her naivete that, She's kind of new and human on the block, but of course inhumans are going to hurt each other. That's that's part of the human flaw in all of us. Simmons is also seeing Dr. Garner, who's got a hell of a caseload right now. Um, Plus he's and, teaching full-time, Pete, and yeah, probably doing I research teach, as well. And I'm sure he's, his writing commitments are off the, off the hook as well. But um, Simmons confesses here that... Uh, it was bitter, her first taste of a strawberry after uh, being away for so long. She thought it would be sweeter. And, um, you know, this, this counseling session, the, the extremes that she has lived through, um, the after effects, these are normal, she's told. Um, and the, the line, Matt, that we were clubbed over the head with um, was – well, I'm not one of the Inhumans. Indeed, Pete, that was a prominent line. Uh, to me, though, there was this duplicitous nature of Simmons in the scene, which is difficult for us to to, to watch. I kind of felt like she ahead of time, she's getting ready for her counseling session, and she's saying to herself, well, I'm going to give him the strawberry story, but you know, no way there's PTSD. And then... Here she's like in mentally going, okay, I just sold him on the strawberry thing. Okay, only only uh, 40 minutes left in the hour-long session here. And then he's like, well, hey, how about, you know, how about this? How about that? And she's immediately, I don't have PTSD, which I, I, I mean, I, there's this wonderful frailty to her here because we know she has PTSD and separate from wherever we're headed through space and time and Super Simmons and all of that. She's been, you know, psychologically affected by this, and we're supposed to link it up to PTSD in the real world. Um, and, and it's t- it's tough seeing Simmons lie, Pete. It hurts. It hurts the articles. Meanwhile, Andrew is going on about the Chilean miners and how they dealt with uh, that real world, um, you know, uh, drama. Uh, with a with a traumatic case like that, stories about hikers stranded, and that he's very much interested in survivor stories. So her gambit has worked. It's uh, I dare say he's he's a little touchy feely when it comes to the psychology and and not seeing through her defense mechanism. Um. I would agree that that is how it appears, and I think from the writer's room point of view, it can go any which way you want. You know, we'll discuss later, is this the final episode for Blair Underwood, or as uh, I believe it was Mary on Twitter said, you know, her prediction is nope. Um, But 
regardless, um, within this scene, I think there's just the possibility of him letting her talk it out. And if they don't nail it in this hour-long session, then he'll be back in and a week or in two days or whenever the next one is. Um, I think he's such a bright guy that here's my supposition. She's going to spend 10 minutes talking about strawberries and he's going, yep, I see through this. And then she immediately rebuffs PTSD and he's saying, got it. You have PTSD, but you don't want to talk about it. Um, and then trying to talk about the past. And she says, well, let's look to the future. I think he sees through all of it, but he also knows she's got to be ready to share about it. And uh, Pete, it's only the fourth episode. We have a Simmons-focused episode for episode five, and he knows it. So he's kind of, you know, slowing down a little bit. Are you saying that that Andrew Garner is such a good therapist, he knows what episode is next? <sighs> Maybe, and I'll tell you this, even spoiler-free Matt, just quick looks on Twitter before we started recording. Uh, wow, people are really interested in next week's episode. Yes, and it is a good one. I can tell you that. Spoiler, <laughs> Pete. Uh, you know what's good, too, though, Matt, is the tension escalating between Garner and Coulson. He did not uh, clear uh, Alicia for field duty um, now that she's been essentially conscripted here by S.H.I.E.L.D., which is... You know, this conversation back and forth between Coulson and Garner is interrupted effectively by May. Who wants to know, is she interrupting something? <laughs> Handy writing indeed. Hey, in the real world, they might have a half-hour discussion of let's spell out the psychological ramifications. Let's spell out the kind of logistical, operational, military safety objectives. But... Why do that when you can just have May show up to end the act? Act three, and Coulson cannot believe that Hunter reached out to May, but May's playing both sides here, Matt. She is, and it also serves for May to be updating Coulson about Hunter's plan. So, you know, we're now increasingly headed towards the the conflict point towards uh, the later point of the episode. Uh, and, of course, Pete... Colson doesn't have many resources to go help Hunter because everyone is on the manhunt. Or is it Pete in this second half of October? A monster hunt. A monster mash, maybe. But uh, It's a graveyard these, smash. These dwindling resources and uh, the, the fact that Hunter is in too deep, that he's lost his judgment. And speaking of lost judgment here, May and her ex-husband... Colson is is sorry that this has happened, uh, but is glad that she's back. And uh, you know, ever the professional pointing out that they're all professionals here and out in the open. The reason that Andrew left her, but Pete, of course, it gets stressed that uh, that uh, Colson says it's like May never left. May is needed. You know, we had the the obvious. Uh, or at least the very clear line uh, last week, you know, Colson lost one hand, May is his right hand. Um, and it certainly is nice to have May back in S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ. Definitely. And then we're off to see Bobby and Fitz. We we need to come up with a Fitzsimmons, uh, you know, type of not just their last names, together you know how about bleo bobby more, and leo horse fits fits morse 
What do, what do you want to go with? Blio? Blio. Bobby and Blio. I like uh, Fobby. Fobby. Ooh, Fobby. I like that. Yeah. So uh, Fitz and Bobby there discussing um, the uh, the goings on. And uh, May and Andrew then get a scene about, uh, you know, that they had gone away. Um, they went away together to see what it would be like outside a shield. And uh, one of them did not like what they saw. Well, Pete, uh, one important moment from that uh, Bobby Fitz and Simmons scene, which I know uh, in the New York area was interrupted by some breaking news, is this important reveal that now Fitz has seen Simmons' um, uh, research as to, you know, the the space and the time and the alien planets, uh, because that too is, you know, where where we are headed story-wise. Um so I suspect that essentially was the function of the scene. It was like an introduction of, oh, the DNA is falling apart. I'm not as good at science as other person. And then, you know, that that just serves as the introduction there for Simmons to be upset. Daisy uh, has reached out, meanwhile, to uh, ATCU number two, Banks, about this virus. And the name Dwight Fry has emerged um, and there's some concern that this killer is an IT guy. Pete, all I know is this. You combine the, 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 the might of an IT guy and an office drone named Dwight, and you're in for some <laughs> serious trouble around the office. You might be. <laughs> um, but he's not been, Matt, to the office in weeks so uh, there's even the idea floated that maybe the ATCU has put this guy on, that he's the one offing in humans, which quickly whisks us, Matt, to Baltimore. Indeed, that's where uh, IT guy, Mr. Fry, the IT guy, lives. <laughs> um, and I... I I like the narrative expediency with which it's like, all right, we got everything locked down. And then Mac, you know, Mac says, you know, that door is going to open itself. Cut to boom, Daisy blasting it open with superpowers. Right. After Price tells um, her number two there uh, to be on his best behavior. We're, we're hiding things from one another in this uh, uneasy alliance. And, uh, Daisy has found a, a cocoon uh, on on the floor there, what uh, uh, Price referred to a little earlier in the episode, which didn't quite square given that this guy has for a while uh, had these rashes when Inhumans come around. I didn't I didn't quite get that. Um, has it been a while or has it been just the last couple of weeks now? Not that that's a huge difference because if I cocooned a couple of weeks ago, which was the amount of time he he had been out of work, at least you could do is kind of you know sweep up a bit from the right. I mean, come on, man, you're gonna have company in two government agencies. Get a get a you know a dustpan. <laughs> Indeed. Um, anyhow, after the cocoon remnants. You have crying IT guy with boils on his face. Act break. Because, I mean, Pete, the crying guy with boils on his face reveal classic, classic act break material. 
And you could say that um, he's far more indisposed to fry his food than to boil it. Wow, indeed. Our fourth act uh, begins with Daisy shutting Fry down. Yes, and that's where it's uh, revealed that uh, Mr. Fry is a divining rod. That's right. His power is to get a rash when he's near other <laughs> inhumans. So let's just do the checklist here, Pete. We saw superpower, I don't age, and I can suck your life force out of you a la the Dark Crystal. Okay. We saw uh, if I focus, I can make earthquakes. Okay. We saw the lady with the arms, which I'm not even going to try and say again because I don't want to end up in a laughing fit. We it's saw already twen- trending on Twitter. <laughs> we saw a guy who can fly a little bit and maybe more. We saw I can split myself into multiple twins. <laughs> twins! You know, we've seen a bunch of cool powers. This guy gets the poop end of the stick oh in terms God. of my power is I get hives when I'm near you. But he gets the power that you think narratively would have the greatest purpose, and they kill him off in the episode, which I'm kind of baffled by. Well, I think you're meant to be baffled because we don't know who is pulling Lash's strings or dreadlocks. Nice. Very nice. But uh, all of this, the the reaction he reveals having... uh, take a very strong painkillers here because he gets a migraine anytime an inhuman is around him um and price goes right for the throat she calls him the brains calls lash his pit bull and uh colson goes for the neck watch out matt colson has a laser finger Pete, for me, the big takeaway from the scene was the bit of dialogue. Do you think he likes what he's doing? This is uh, Mr. Fry, the tech guy, asking that about Lash. And there's this really interesting notion that he then puts forth that um, Mr. Fry appreciates what Lash is doing. Lash is bringing order. He is sending these inhumans away to their death. And essentially, it's the right thing to do. Uh, Fry sees this as a... Well, I won't use the M word, but a, you know, kind of a genetic abhorrence, um, which is being corrected, which is, I mean, just a super frightening way to look at all of this. Um, But there's this idea kind of lash as kind of the the angel of death of mercy, if you will. Well, amidst that idea that it's divine inspiration, Coulson also calls lash a big guy with dreads who likes to leave holes in people. So clearly there's a divergent perspective They take Fry away. Um, He's heavily sedated uh, at at a six at about 10. You know, Matt, nobody likes a drooler. (laughs) Pete, you you can't go above a six. That's the proof that there's the there's the kindness of the uh, advanced threat containment unit that they're not going 10 for 10 there. Um, And in fact, Pete, they're willing to play ball because uh, Colson would like Mac and Daisy to go along with. So a couple of level seven operatives get to ride with a guy who's at level six in terms of his sedation. Pete, pish posh, there's no level seven anymore. (laughs) Um, Does he really have a laser finger, Matt? Of course, that's classified. But Bobby hits the treadmill and uh, Simmons comes in here and there's talk about Bobby's two surgeries 
on her knee, one on her lung, and Simmons apologizes for having snapped at her before, and she's asked if she's told anyone else she wants to go back. But again, misdirection. B is for blue, is for biological. And Pete, what is more biological if not the love of the heart? Um, joking aside, though, although maybe that wasn't a joke, that was just an awesome observation. But I, I like that this scene is essentially, you know, t- two of the S.H.I.E.L.D. gals being able to trust in each other to help each other out, you know, personally, professionally, all of that. You know, it's not a scene of great explosions or great reveals or anything of that sort, but it's a scene of two characters jiving, and that's always good indeed. Not jiving is Hunter in Kibo's trunk. Pete, it smells like bananas. It does, I (laughs) guess. But uh, what is bananas is what takes place next in the back of the truck that uh, Fry, Daisy, and Mac, along with some uh, ATCU red shirts, are. Um, Quickly, the ceiling of that is kind of... uh, it's not just like portaled away. It's uh, the the um, the material seems to dematerialize, if you will, after kind of hovering there for a second. Comes in, takes care of business. Mac tries to uh, hold him off, is unsuccessful. Later uh, revealed to have a separated arm, and uh, car flips on its side. And Fry is dragged from it by Lash, who uh, said, you know, I I only told them the truth. You were being merciful, to which point uh, Lash says he wasn't being he's not merciful. He's necessary. And then from Daisy's perspective, uh, mirroring the shot earlier when Lash saw her in shadow she sees his shadow uh, get smaller and transform. Indeed, Pete, a blue shapeshifter. Who would have thunk it? Such a, a wild and crazy idea out there. There's, there's so much mystique to it. Uh, and with that, Pete, we end the act. Act five and Mac comes to. Daisy explains that they were brought to a local ER, that Fry was killed by Lash. And the bullet there that she's pretty sure she saw him transform into a person. Price comes in, asks Mac how he feels. Of course, like a a truck. Hopefully it wasn't a Mac truck. uh, (laughs) Fell fell on him. uh, But she points out at least he lived to tell the tale. uh, The unspoken cost of several ATCU agents. Yeah, a bunch of people we didn't know. Classic red shirt fashion. She's kind of annoyed that now there's paperwork to fill out. But, you know, in in classic Jim Kirk fashion, she's going to get over it pretty quickly. Fitz, Coulson, and uh, Bobby convene. Coulson is headed out with a tack team uh, and is wished good luck. Um, And Fitz is the one to let Bobby know that May and Hunter have a lead on Ward Oh, didn't they tell you? It's tough when uh, when people keep things from you, isn't it? Yeah, kind of a procedural scene here. It's Colson getting ready to leave. It's Bobby finding out, oh, she's not happy and sidelined. 
Kibo uh, wakes Hunter up from the trunk here. There's a cutesy discussion whether they're going to call this location Nemesis or Omega Point. It all sounds a bit too S.H.I.E.L.D., but they're always planning something. And, uh, you know, hey, you don't believe me? You can ask the director himself. I like that Kibo is um, not fully buying into all of this with the fancy names and, you know, director will see you. We will go talk to director. Director is wise. Director is great. Director is behind the curtain. You know, like it's it. He he's not not buying into it, but there's a certain sense where he's just like, can't we just have a basic straight line for our organizational chart and go shoot people and go do what bad guys do? Why all the why all the flourish here? But then, as you mentioned, Pete, it's time for that big reveal. Uh, we know Ward is the director. Ward doesn't know that Richie is uh, is Hunter. Right. And uh, cornered as he is in the middle of a shootout, May saves his bacon, uh, gives Ward a look there so everybody knows who's there. Um, she took her bloody time, though, of course, Counted 11, including Ward, but May has taken out five already. And then there's a little bit of stalling, Matt. There is. It's kind of your classic, you know, good guy, bad guy banter. Pete, you know the scene is serious because Ward gave Kibo the spinny finger, you know, which in a helicopter context is fire up the helicopter. But here it's send the guys all out and around because it's go time. Um, but I guess the banter is necessary because our, our agents of shield are 20 minutes away and that's when you kind of look at the clock and go, but then that means they're not getting there at all because we have about six minutes left for the episode. And as Ward is playing on the phone here, you're wondering what is he doing? Talks about, uh, looking to cause mayhem with this truck full of weapons that Hunter has brought. And then handed the phone here it's a live feed he clarifies to may in case she's wondering a uh, an image of andrew garner who's about to teach uh psych 301 he believes hunter is adamant that the video is a fake and uh you know this this pause dramatically leads to him suddenly uh going uh rogue (laughs) indeed the tension here is really effective because we are aware of the multiple moving parts including um junior hydra boy um being kind of in andrew's world of you know the 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 college world and and indeed kid kid von strucker um so we know it's possible that it's really happening um hunter stressing it's that it is fake um throws that into the mix and the the show takes its time to then cut to andrew in the shop oh it really is live and it's corner and that and he's cornered rather and the hydra crew is ready to fire him up as you said pete hunter makes the decision it is go time yes and with a warehouse full of guns here uh the big concern after Hunter apologizes is that everybody's going to pull through this. Um, 
Andrew, meanwhile, you know, we we worry what's going to happen with him that uh, May tells Colson you have to get to him. Hunter hits Ward in the back as he gets away. But May just needs to give Hunter that look. Indeed, it's nice to see Hunter wounded. Uh, or at least I was cheering. I suspect you. Well, Hunter, you mean Ward? Uh, Ward, indeed. It's nice to see that Hunter has has uh, has hit Ward. Um, uh, it's nice to see Ward, you know, Ward wounded. Um, but then, Pete, we cut to Andrew's presumed dead body, blood on the floor, and the shop explodes. Blood, gasoline, beer. Uh, Werner is across the street huddling behind a car, Matt scared. And I couldn't quite uh, square that character affectation. Are we to say he can do this violence, but he's a coward? I I wasn't quite sure. I I think it's just, you know, he talks a good talk, but then now it's time to actually do the deed. And it's this, you know, it's the weight of it all. The fact that they, he believes he has just, you know, helped kill a man. And um, I think it's just in line with, you know, you, you never forget your first kill. The tag scene for this episode uh, features Simmons. So two in a row here she's gotten with papers on her bed. There's a knock on the door. She hides them and tells the knocker to come in. Of course, it's Fitz uh, who she thanks but tells there's no reason to dote and he goes right for the throat. Why are you researching the portal? I can't understand why you're doing that after everything you've been through. And she admits that she has to get back there and she needs his help to get there. Something happened and it's time that I told you the truth. Indeed, and as the clock is going tick, tick, it's time, tick. She told him the truth, tick, which is tick. <laughs> Boom, the end. So, you know, a, a delicious cliffhanger there uh, with which we end the episode. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. They don't get any badder, Matt, than Lash. I like that they introduce him as the shark that, of course, is setting up the notion that he is uh, more than one creature, you know, in this the shape-shifting uh, notion. It also uh, sets us up for the, the quick turn that, you know, that he is more than just a simple-minded killing machine somehow sniffing out these humans or, you know, kind of like, you know, let out of the cage and he goes and attacks and then whoever his controller is brings him back. You know, the notion that he's, he's of his own... Um, agency uh in terms of his will to be doing this and that also he's having some sort of you know human conversation with a handler uh both of those are really nice developments in um in what is a really effective continuing storyline here i think the um the red herring that uh fry was him is very easy to see through but having gone through that then to give him the ability to transform and now he could be anybody we'll have to examine that a little bit more in our level seven segment Ooh, how teasing yeah how about matt our atcu and rosalind price here still squarely on our dossier 
I think she deserves to be on the dossier, but I think that the show, at least thus far, has made it clear that she is just other Coulson. You know, she's not anti-Coulson. She's not the the yin to his yang. She's running her own group, which has its own rules and is tough. You know, they see the tough public face. They never made it back to their to their secret base where they have, you know either awful containment facilities or really nice ones or whatever it might be. I just think she's she's a tough gal in a tough world, and I'm digging that they're kind of sticking with that. They're not making her kind of the black-hatted villain. I liked that there was a human toll to this other group in this episode. I don't like that people died. I do like that they were humanized a little bit more um, with this uh, was a massacre in the back of this truck and uh, Daisy and, and Mac were lucky to survive it. Really the, the only survivors other than the, the cause of it with lash. Indeed. And I, I don't think it's quite level level sevenable, but the fact that lash is ignoring the clearly powered Daisy um, certainly speaks, you know, in that scene speaks to he's, he's got his orders and he doesn't deviate from them, from them either. So the notion that it's another kind of organization with its rules and organization chart and all of that, uh, you know, seems to be emerging. How about director Ward, Matt of Hydra? Um, Ward in that, you know, that shootout scene, uh, was a little kind of crazy eyed, maniacal. Um, I can only assume given what a solid actor Brett Dalton is, that that was all on purpose and as directed, as written, as desired to be performed and so forth. Uh, I think we're seeing Ward slowly kind of coming off the hinges here and, um, the notion that he's putting all these, um, you know, kind of uh, decorative elements into Hydra 3.0 while we have S.H.I.E.L.D., um, you know, Coulson's S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, saying there are no more levels, we're all one big team, I'm the boss, you listen to me. Other than that, we all work together. Um, there's a similar aesthetic in the uh, ATCU in terms of prices in charge, and she has a number two, but it's not like, you know, you kind of don't get the sense of layers upon layers here. So the fact that Ward is is departmentalizing this, you know, group of 12 or 15 people just speaks to kind of his ego and his craziness. I said a couple weeks ago that Ward playing uh, as evil is least interesting Ward. But I, I have to correct myself because this was interesting Ward. This was twisting the knife you know the the video of garner uh taunting may and um already in hunter's head getting into her head he's a really great villain there's no question he's a he's a fantastic villain he's definitely gotten better particularly after this episode and and full props to uh to brett dalton with that and finally matt uh, Werner von Strucke here uh, carries out what you know we we knew would be surveillance on Andrew Garner, but uh, here possibly a fatal hit. Possibly, although I think we'll be discussing that briefly in level seven. Um, I have no problem with the writing of the character. I have no problem with the acting of the character. 
uh kid von strucker as a person i am unimpressed with him he's he's all you know rich kid and and no work ethic at the Verna von strucker actor spencer treat clark looked so familiar to me uh, and I placed him before I looked him up on IMDb. He was the son of Bruce Willis's character in the M. Night Shyamalan superhero thriller, your favorite, Unbreakable. He was also uh, the little boy in Gladiator. So uh, from one superhero uh, story to another, albeit on the other side. Pete, I acknowledge one M. Night Shyamalan movie, and that is The Sixth Sense. And we could talk about it more, but now is time for Level 7. Welcome to Level 7. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, let's begin with a softball here. May uh, gave a line to Coulson in their, uh, you know, much-earned first scene together in the fourth episode of, of this season. I mean, geez, when, when can we say they've spent that much time apart and, uh, talking about, uh, you know, he looks good without the tie on, um, given, and we'll talk about Garner in a moment. She might be, uh, ex widowed. Um, yeah, a little something, something between, uh, May and Coulson here. Pete, I think the show would be ill-served if they went down that path. That said, I think it's just, you know, it's a it's a gal the age she is admiring a guy the age he is. And it's just kind of that, you know, I, I don't think it's even flirtatious. I think it's just, I mean, look, we've seen in the past how May is somebody who can easily separate um, the, 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 the down there feelings and the heart feelings. And I think here it's just her just kind of saying, hey, you look good. You look real good. Now back to business saving the world. Colson, real laser finger or no? Whenever the story needs it, yes. And I'm going to go <laughs> one further. Uh, I think of the tag at the end of the first season where they bring back the 084 from the episode 084. Yes. Oh, that's what it does. I think that in a you know, in, in a comedic moment, we get Coulson's laser finger sometime this season to get them out of some moderate jam. You know, they're chained up in the dungeon and you're watching and going, OK, well, they're going to get out somehow instead of it. You know, it's going to be Hunter saying, all right, I just need to regurgitate a, a skeleton key. You know, and Bobby will be like, no, I think if I hit this rock against the chain in a couple hours, we'll be out. Instead, Coulson's going to go pew, pew and... You know, saves the day. I told you I had a laser finger. From laser finger to fry face, Matt. Surprised that uh, they did in potentially the most useful story in human to date. Um, I think that the writing was on his face in terms of <laughs> <laughs> like they're not going to have they're not going to have him be finder guy and be like, oh. It burns a little. It burns more. It bur- oh, hideous boils everywhere. No, you know, like it's, it's. <laughs> He's within three meters. Like it's a compelling idea that this guy has, you know, inhuman dar. But the way in which they followed through with it was a, to service the fact that he was going to be in three scenes and that's it. 
How about uh, Andrew Garner? Is he dead? Well, Pete, I know it's not time yet for decrypted transmissions, but I have to give props to uh, to our pal on the Twitter, and that was uh, Mary Kirk, who who you know just put forth this theory really quickly, really fast, um, to just say. Uh, she says, uh, I'm saying Mr. May kicked all Ward's men's butts and baby Strucker barely made it out alive. I think that is a perfectly, perfectly reasonable theory on Mary's part. And I uh, wanted to give due credit where credit was due. Werner Strucker made it out alive? I think you're talking about Garner. Well, no, that 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 Andrew kicked a lot of butt. Oh, no, there's the gas. There's the lighter. Like, I... Here's what I imagine, Pete. We're going to have a scene next week where the real fight is shown to us. And as Garner fights this and that, the other, somebody drops the gas. And then Andrew, you know, takes a takes a garden trowel and pushes it into a, a goon's chest and he starts to bleed. And then, you know, Andrew runs out the back while, while Kid Von Strucker runs out the front because the gas and the flame and the gas and the flame, ba-boom. Um, I think that's where we are headed. So you're saying he's dead. Don't wait for the translation. Answer the question. No, I think Andrew I think it's gonna be a quick, you know, no, he got out the back. Oh, now he's a bit singed. Andrew lives. I don't I think the fact that we didn't see whose feet those were, that's the big clue. Look, if you're gonna kill off Blair Underwood, you sit and go, Are you ready for your close up, Mr. Underwood? Yes, I shall play the death. I'll I'll play the you know the great acting, the great human experience here, the end of us for us all. Oh, oh, you know, like you're not gonna deny him a close up of his of his cold dead hands or face. And speaking of cold dead hands, Matt Simmons can't seem to give up this quest to return back to the alien planet why i continue to have no idea the fact that she was fashioning punji sticks and the fact that we know something was chasing her um certainly lends itself to an explanation but i have truly no theory at all other than what i'm sure i've mentioned in the past which is we know of the world hopping from the thor end of stuff you know, do we go there? I think the show is increasingly reticent to just do kind of movie tie-ins for tie-ins sake um, to go to the different Thor planets. You know, there was one season, one episode that wasn't particularly great where the guy's phasing in and out from another realm. You know, like, I, I don't think it's going to be a direct tie there. So, So I don't know. Maybe we have Chris Pratt show up and just be like, I'm trying to guard the galaxy here. What are you doing, English lady? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Are the Beatles still together? No, I guess he probably was. <laughs> the Beatles. Still. He was probably pulled mid-80s, right? Late 80s. Anyhow. Yeah. Is is Blondie not, not still together, right? You know. <laughs> so I have no idea. Open the mailbag, Matt. Let's check the wire. 
Pete, we have an email from my pal and yours, Henry Perno, via the email. He says, I couldn't believe that Hunter let Andrew die like that. Loss of a good character and an asset loss to shield aside. I have a feeling May will be furious at Hunter for the rest of the season. I would like to propose a theory, says Henry. By the end of the season, Hunter's guilt over his responsibility for Andrew's death will lead him to a noble self-sacrifice to redeem himself. Not like what I thought ward would do uh might do for redemption season one but hunters killed a guy and played a part in may's ex-husband's death so we'll see what happens your thoughts pete well one you can't kill an actor like um blair underwood unceremoniously off screen um so at the very least we would have to as you were positing before matt see his demise next week um, and media res. And then, um, if he has an issue later on and, and has to sacrifice himself as his hunter, how does he become Matt? One of Marvel's most wanted. Well, Pete, to be fair, I believe you have put forth the theory that Marvel's most wanted could be Bobby and Ward. Um, if the story was going to, you know, so go in that direction. So I guess you never know. I do. Uh, well, fair enough. Pete, one more note here from Henry, who says uh, that his mom thinks Rosalind is Lash. Your thoughts, Pete? That's not a bad theory, and that's not one that I had um, thought about just yet. Um, yeah, that that could definitely work. Um, I just think it might be a little too on the nose and, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. What if it's not Rosalind? What if it's instead banks, you know, best behavior, that line there takes on a whole mm -hmm. different level. Yeah. I think either, either are possible. I like the idea that it could be Rosalind. Um, I, I guess time will I tell. Can't, well, no, I can't see. I, I can't see a female turning into him. Well, yeah, I think it's got to be. If it's somebody we know, it's got to be Banks. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, how far down the road do you want to go with it being female? Like, yes, I agree. Lash does not look like. Um, the, 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 uh, blue, uh, avatar people in that, you know, <laughs> in that they, they don't require, um, uh, prodigious mammary glands, but have them nonetheless for the purposes of the audience. So I, yes, Lash does not appear female in that regard, but I mean, what are the rules of inhuman shape-shifting? It's not outside the realm of possibility now. You know, is that a route they go to have a male guy with a male physique playing Lash? Then, you know, switching back to Rosalind. Do you have the discussion in the writer's room? Hey, that's a good idea, but does it confuse the audience? I think it's a legit theory from Mrs. Perno, but I think I guess time will tell. I agree that there are some kind of story limitations as to why it couldn't be, but I think we could both agree it could be. Absolutely. Well, Pete, speaking of what could be. You know what could be perhaps the greatest adventure of a lifetime? Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Following you on Twitter. It gets better and better each week. How can people do so? 
you can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R six thousand five hundred nineteen followers. Can't be wrong, Pete. While I am personally on Twitter as looking back lost because Gemma Simmons wasn't the first one to say we have to go back. Here's how you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. And we are under that name on the Gmail, the dot com, and the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. On the Facebook, as we learned from back in time director Jason Aaron there, highly influential in uh, doing a lot of his work, tracking down uh, subjects for that documentary, which uh, hits Netflix on October 21st, 2015. You can track us down at facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph like us today we will be around in the future well pete regardless of what the episode title is of next week's episode something about 4722 days we will be back in a mere seven days to podcast the next exciting episode of agents of shield and with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word Not merciful, I'm necessary.